right. <laughs> They're calling for me to preach the word, and that's what they usually yell out every Sunday, and I'm, I hope they keep yelling it until Jesus comes back. And uh, that's what I want to keep doing, is preaching the word. Before, before we do that, we're going to be in the book of Ruth today, but before we do that, I just want to tell you about a couple of things real quick that are going on this week. One of them is that this Saturday morning at 7.30, all the men in the church are invited. If you'd like to come for breakfast this Saturday at 7.30, and then we're, uh, we're going to have a time to talk about leadership. This year, in the year 2013, the elders and myself, we would like to really focus on encouraging every man in our church to be the best leader they can possibly be. Some of these men will be elders of this church someday. Some of these men will be elders at other churches around Ruidoso someday. Some of these men will move off and they'll be elders someplace else in another town. And, and so we want to encourage men to learn how, how can I be the best leader I can possibly be. And some of them will never be an elder. They'll never be you know, officially some, uh, a deacon or whatever to church, but they're still leaders in their home. And so we want to invite men to come this Saturday morning and be a part at uh, 7.30. Wyatt, if I didn't say that, Wyatt's going to cook breakfast. You need any help? <laughs> he thought about saying yes, and then he thought about some of you that would come help, and he's like, nah, I'm good. I'm all right. The other thing I want to let you know uh, that's coming up is next week we'll be starting a new series of lessons called Come to the Table. And next week, this room that we're in right here is going to be turned into a circle. All the pews are going to be in a circle, and we're going to have a table right there in the middle. And we're going to be talking about coming to the table. We're going to talk about scriptures when Jesus, uh, when he ate with people and, and, and what that was like. And, and we're going to be, I'm, I'm encouraging you to read John chapter 6. Now, some of you I see when I say our pews are going to be a circle, some of you have a frown on your face. Some of you, are your eyes are big and you're scared to death. And this, you know, that's okay. It might be a good opportunity for you to visit our brothers and sisters at the First Baptist Church, maybe. I don't know. You know, they, they sit in rows and they, you can look at the back of people's heads. But for five weeks, for five weeks, we're going to sit in a circle and we're going to look across at each other's faces and we're going to worship God uh, in that way. And so uh, I wanted to give you a warning so nobody has a heart attack next week when you walk in the door, Okay. But I hope you will read John chapter 6 this week in preparation for next week. Now, because these are all going to be turned in a circle, and I didn't want to do that by myself, uh, you guys get to do that. So Cody, Pat, Cody, uh, Cody Thetford, where is he? Hey, stand up, Cody, so everybody can see. This is Cody Thetford, and he is in charge today of getting all these pews in a circle. So I need to know, after we get done here, who would help move these pews? Raise your hand if you would help move these pews. Okay, That's a lot, Cody. That's a bunch of... Guys, and even a couple of girls, so you're in good shape. All right, we're going to preach the word today. We're going to look at the book of Ruth, the book of Ruth. And we are in uh, the end of this series called Redeemer. And uh, I've asked you this question every single week that uh, our little tag on Redeemer here says, I think if it's going to, maybe I don't have it plugged in, is it? Yeah, it may not be plugged in good. We've got high-tech stuff going here, you know, at Gateway. So, uh, let's see. No? Did it come up? No? Uh, there it is. Here's my financial reports right there. And uh, let's see. Okay. 
All right, so uh, I've asked you this question every week right here, and that is, do you believe God can turn anything around? Now, I know all of us, yeah, hey, I'll ask you again if you want to answer. Do you believe God can turn anything around? That's awesome. I know all of us believe God can turn some things around. But most of us are like, but not everything. And that's why last week we had Heather Norton stand right here in front of us, right here at this pulpit with me and with Vicki, and share her testimony about what God has done in her life, that she's been clean from drugs for one year, and that God has done that, that this church family has got to join him and be a part of that. I hope that at the end of this, you're more convinced God can turn anything around than you were when we started. I hope that's what's happened in your life as we've read. And we're going to finish today by looking at, uh, by looking at Ruth chapter 4. And you'd be turning there, but I, I'm, uh, and, and we'll get to see our video actually of Ruth chapter 4. So we're going to enjoy that actually, but we'll be studying from there as well. But before we do, I want to talk to you a little bit about names. Okay, because we're going to see several names today in Ruth chapter 4. And so I want you to think about names for just a minute. Uh, if we think about the names that people are given by their parents, do they really mean anything? And are, do parents really think it through when they give them names? Now, some of these I'm about to show you I think are probably fake, but some of them are real. I've met a person that had this name right here, Sandy Beach. I mean, I think that's a little bit cruel, personally. You know, I, I don't know what those parents were thinking. Some of these others, I haven't met people with these names. I don't know whether they're true or not. Mr. Walker, uh, Jay, I don't know. Uh, Mrs. Might, and uh, then, of course, this guy may end up in jail uh, with a name like that. And uh, this fake person, you know, is going to have a hard time uh, making many friends because uh, he's, not, he's not very authentic. And then these people that right here, uh, the first one, this one is probably going to end up working for a newspaper, more than likely. Uh, this one right here is going to be a singer. And uh, this one right here, she will probably work on instruments. Some of you aren't going to get that until lunchtime on that one. And uh, this one right here is going to be a justice of the peace. And this, this lady right here is going to work for Greg Carey at the insurance office. So um, I, I think these names obviously are really silly names. But do names mean anything? These are goofy names. But do names mean anything? Because as we've looked through the book of Ruth... We have found there are names that do mean certain things, aren't there? Do you guys remember what Naomi means? It means pleasant. That was close. It was just the opposite, okay? But what, let's try this one, Brian. What does, uh, what does Mara mean? Bitter. There you go. Okay, it means bitter. And then here, here's the next one. What does Bethlehem mean? House of bread, that's right. And then we looked at what does Boaz mean? Boaz is a mighty man. And then we looked at Ruth, and she was called by Boaz an Esset Hale. You guys remember when we used that word, Esset Hale? And what did that mean? Woman of noble character, that's exactly right. These names mean something powerful. And we're going to see a couple more today, two or three more that are really, really powerful. Let's pray, and then we're going to enjoy watching our video of Ruth chapter 4 of that reading. God, thank you for uh, this time. Thank you for our church family. I thank you, God, that uh, we can come together and we can experience your grace and your love and your mercy. That we can experience that in one another. And now as we hear from your word, God, we love, uh, we love your word and we pray with all of our heart that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Please, Holy Spirit, come. Teach us what each of us need to learn today in spite of my weaknesses. 
But may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart be acceptable in your sight. We pray it in the name of Jesus Christ. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer, of whom Boaz had spoken, came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, Buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, Buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilian and to Malan. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malan, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception. 
and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a Redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nation. Nation fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. When the original readers of this text, when they would have heard the very end of this story, and when they would have heard the name David at the end, it would have sent tingles down their spine. It would, have been, it would have been so quotable. It would have been so important to them. It would be a lot like some of the movies that are quotable in our culture. And it doesn't even matter whether you've seen these movies or not. You know the lines to these movies. I'm almost sure that you do. Like this. Clint Eastwood, do you remember when he used to be in these movies back in the 70s and 80s? you remember those? And he would always say, go ahead, make my... Exactly. You remember those. Shame on you guys for watching those. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. All right, and maybe most of you probably watched Star Wars. A few of you haven't. But, but even if you haven't, you still know that at some point, Darth Vader said, Luke, I am your... Exactly. And even if you haven't seen this particular movie, my name's Forrest, Forrest Gump. My mom always said, life is like? Exactly, exactly. You see, we know all of those because they're part of our culture. And it would have been the same with these people when they read and they got near the end of this story. And I'm just telling you, they would have been like, oh, here it comes. Here it comes. This is the end. Salmon, the father of Boaz. Oh, Boaz, the father of Obed. Obed, he's the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of? David. David. Oh, it's the best part. It's the best part of the book. Because the last word of this book, David, makes this a great book. You see, without this last name, it's a pretty good, neat story about a couple of women who are trying to survive and they're lucky enough to meet a guy who helps them out of a tough place in their life. But the last name, David, with that name, everything changes as that name rolls off the tongue of the original readers, everything comes together with that one name, David. The theme of this book becomes Redeemer. 
God has redeemed their story. Now the story is big. It's huge. Because it's about a God who takes the struggles of our life and he gives them purpose. It's about a huge God who takes the sacrifices that you make and he uses those sacrifices for his glory. It's about a God who takes our small stories of our life and he makes them a part of his big story because make no mistake about it, God is saving this world. God is redeeming this world and our part matters. There's a couple of other names that we got to look at today besides David that are awesome. But before we do, I want to just take a few minutes to review what we've learned in the book, this great book of Ruth. Some of the things that I've taken away from this, and maybe you have too. First of all, what does Ruth teach us about how we should live? And here's the first one, the word Mara. We said it just a moment ago. It means bitter or bitterness. And, and we learned that Naomi, yeah, she was bitter. And you know where she took that bitterness? She took it right to the throne room of God, exactly where she should. Right into his throne. And she, along with other great people of the Bible, like David when he wrote the Psalms, and Job when he cried out, they railed against God for the horrible tragedies that were going on in their life. That's exactly what God would have us do. You feel bitter? feel angry take it to God he'll help you through that bitterness if you don't take it to God you're just going to get stuck you're going to be engulfed in bitterness and you know what you're going to do you're going to miss the blessings that are standing right beside you that's what was happening to Naomi when she said I left full but I've come back empty I have nothing God's taken everything away from me and right beside her is standing Ruth, the greatest blessing, this, this daughter-in-law who said, I'll stay with you. That's the first lesson I get from this. The second lesson is about gleaning. It's about gleaning. And you can go back and listen to these lessons online or you can pick up a CD if you, if you don't know what gleaning is. I'm not going to take the time to go over all that again. But here's the thing I learned from that. Leave some work for the poor. Leave some work for the homeless. Leave some work for the jobless. Don't be so efficient in what you do that you have nothing left when they come by and ask, do you have something I could do to make a little money? Those people that are on the margins of society, offer them some work. And when you do, you're going to offer them some dignity and you're going to offer them some purpose. And we need to offer them a place in our community at the table with us. Gleaning. It's, it's just woken me up to, is that a word? I always wonder. I'm from Oklahoma and I don't know. Woken, you know, waked up, I don't know. Anyways, it's, it's, it's just brought it to my attention that I can be so efficient sometimes that I have nothing left for anyone to help with. And that's not right. That's not what God intended for us to do. He wanted us to leave some work for people that are on the, on, right out there on the uh, fringe. And then beauty. And, and I especially encourage, if you're a woman and you weren't here last week, that you do get the CD and you listen to this lesson from last week. Because we said last week that women in the book of Ruth are encouraged to embrace their beauty. 
Never downplay your beauty as a woman. God made you beautiful. Make sure the inside matches the outside, but never downplay your beauty. And whatever influence you have because of that beauty, use it for God's glory. And then another lesson that I never did really get a chance to share with you and I want to share with you today, and that is tags. Tags. Ruth was tagged as a foreigner. And sometimes we can make a tag, we can like write foreigner on it, and then we hang it on a person, and that's who they are. And that's their identity. And that's what we see in the book of Ruth, that that's the way some of the community responds to Ruth. She's just a foreigner. But Boaz saw more. Boaz saw she's an Eset Hale. He looked at her character on the inside. And it didn't mean that he ignored what the Bible said about Moabites to not be friends with them. It doesn't mean that he didn't take the Bible seriously. But he wasn't legalistic about it. He knew that he saw her as a person and he knew whatever the Bible said about that, there was a reason for it. And he saw her the way that God sees her. Now, in our culture, there's some things that we tag people with, and that's just who they are. I'm going to tell you one of those that I think, as Christians, we've got a lot better at than we used to be when I was growing up anyways, and that's the word divorce. When I was growing up, if a person got divorced, you made a big sign, and you hung it on them, and you didn't literally do that, but everybody did it. Oh, who's that? Oh, that's the divorced person over there. Oh, that's who that is, the divorced person. We have learned to look at people with God's eyes and realize that person, first of all, is a person that Jesus died for. That's who that is first. Their life is not defined by this one word. It doesn't mean that we ignore what the Bible says about divorce. We still take Scripture serious, but we are not legalistic about it. And we see people as people, not as a tag. So we're doing better with that one. I'm going to tell you a couple that are... I don't know if that made anybody in here nervous when we talk about divorce. I'm about to make you really nervous if that made you nervous. Because I'm going to talk about some real tags that all of us in this room probably struggle with. Are you ready? Here's the first one. Gay. Homosexual. Lesbian. My neighbors are gay. And I had to repent because for a long time, I tagged them. Who are they? Oh, they're the gay neighbors. And I let that define who they were. But do you, I, I'm trying to learn to look with God's eyes at my neighbors. And I think I'm doing a better job. Jesus Christ died for my neighbors. Jesus Christ loves my neighbors. Now, does this mean that we ignore Scripture? Does this mean that we don't look and see what the Bible says about homosexuality? No, of course not. We still take Scripture seriously. Of course we do. But we don't tag a person and say, that's who they are. We don't do that. Here's another one. If that one didn't make you, uh, if, if that one didn't make you nervous, then here's one. Here's the next one. You ready? <laughs> take a deep breath. Everybody sitting down? Everybody sit down. All right, hold on to something. Here we go. Here's, here's the second one that I, that I know. I know we struggle with. Illegal aliens.
I want you to understand clearly, illegal aliens are not just a social problem or a political policy topic. They are people. They are human beings. Jesus Christ died for illegal aliens. Do you understand that? God loves illegal aliens. Now, does that mean that we don't have any opinion or that we don't, that we don't think about and we don't have some thought about policies? No, of course of course, we all have opinions. we got different ones all over this room about that kind of stuff. But here's the deal. We don't put a tag on somebody and say, that's who they are. No, they're not. They're a human being. They're somebody who Jesus Christ died for. That's who that person is. That's where we start. Ruth, if it doesn't teach us to think about those things, then we didn't read Ruth very carefully or very honestly, or we don't want to know what God thinks. So those are some of the things that Ruth teaches us, at least for me, that I have learned about how I see Ruth calling me to live for God. And what about this? What does Ruth teach us about, about, let's see if I can get this to work. doesn't want to work. What does Ruth teach us about God? There we go. What does Ruth teach us about God? First of all, Ruth teaches us this. The word said. On the count of three, everybody say the word said. One, two, three. This is probably the biggest word in the whole book. And it's the book of, I mean, it's the word that means love. That means unconditional love. It's like agape in the New Testament. It is a compassion. It is a care. It is mercy. It is kindness. It is what will reach and do for others what they're not able to do for themselves. And this is what we find is that God is our said provider We find this out, that he sometimes works actively, that he sometimes sticks his arm down into our lives and he does something. Twice in the book of Ruth, he does that. He actively reaches down and chapter one tells us, or chapter two, one of the other tells us that he stopped the famine in Bethlehem. He did it. He acted. He stuck his hand down into the world and he did that. And at the end of this book, we see that he's the one who put his hand down, and he allowed Boaz and Ruth to become pregnant. He acted to do that. Sometimes we find out God's hesed love reaches down and acts in this world. But here's the other thing that we find out in Ruth, is that mostly God works through the hesed love and kindness of others. That's what we see. That's what God does mostly in this world. That's what I believe. Ruth and Boaz are great examples of this. Chapter 3, verse 11, I've said it several times. The word eset, hail, is that she is a woman of noble character. And in chapter 2, verse 1, we find out that he is a man of noble character. The same word, eset, hail, except it's the, the, the masculine form of that. And so what difference did their actions make? Well, here's the deal. Ruth's actions make a big difference in her mother-in-law's life. Her mother-in-law would have been all by herself, destitute, without any help if it hadn't been for Ruth being there. Boaz's Boaz's actions made a big difference in both of these women's lives. His kindness to let them get grain and and his kindness to accept her proposal of marriage to him and his kindness in chapter 4 when he goes to be her redeemer. But do their actions stretch further than just the here and now? Do their actions stretch further than just Ruth and Naomi? This is what I love about the Bible, is that if we look close enough, this is what we find. 
we find a guy's name named Perez. Perez. Chapter 4 and verse 18. This is the genealogy of the family of Perez. So what? Who cares? I don't even like to read genealogies. I like to skip over those. I almost always do. And this one right here is amazing to me. When we look hundreds of years later in Nehemiah chapter 11, verse 6. Listen to this verse. Nehemiah 11, verse 6. You ready? There were 468 descendants of Perez who lived in Jerusalem. All outstanding men. You know what word that is? Esset Hale. 468 Esset Hales. Men of noble character. I wonder where they got that from. I wonder where. And so you, today, are you going through some trials? Are you going through some tragedy? Do you feel bitter today? Okay. It's okay. Take that to God. He will help you get through it. And you'll realize that James is right when he says... Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of all kind. Why? Why would I consider that pure joy? Here's the reason. Because God won't waste it. He'll use every bit of whatever you're going through. How's he going to do that, John? I don't know. Neither did Ruth. She didn't know either. When is he going to use it, John? I'm not sure. And Ruth wasn't either. She only got to see a little bit of what God did. But generations later, hundreds of years later, her effect is still in that family. That's why we love Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 10. This says, God shows love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. So when you fight temptation, listen to me. When you fight temptation, God may be using that in your children's life. When you stand up for another person and you say, I will not gossip. I will not do that. God may use that in your, grant, in your great-grandchild's life that you may not ever meet. At least not on this side. When you stop spending all of your money on yourself and you begin to give a significant portion of your income away, God may use that ten generations away from now for who knows what amazing thing in His kingdom that will be passed down. And that generation won't even know your name. But God won't waste what you do in his kingdom. Just like the descendants of Perez. And one last name we got to look at today. One last name. So-and-so. So-and-so? Who's that? Well, in our reading that was on the screen... Boaz goes to go find out there's a closer redeemer than me. So he goes to talk to the guy and he calls him friend in the reading that we heard. But you know what the actual text calls him? Hey, so-and-so, come on over here. Come on over here, so-and-so. Now, do you actually think that Boaz didn't know this guy's name and so he had to call him so-and-so? I don't. I think the author wants us to make sure and know this guy doesn't even get a name. He doesn't get a name. And I'll tell you why. Because he thinks Ruth is a bad investment. Have you ever had a so-and-so tell you that you're a bad investment? You ever been rejected? 
Old so-and-so down at the health insurance office said, we did the test, and you're a bad investment. We're not going to insure you. You're not in very good shape. Maybe it was at a bank. And old so-and-so that works at the bank said, man, we looked at your finances, and you are a bad investment. We are not giving you a loan. Maybe it's something much more serious than that. Maybe it's an ex-spouse. You know old so-and-so? They never, they never said the exact words, but boy, they, I guess they thought you were a bad investment. Maybe it's a friend who won't call you anymore, won't return your calls. Maybe it's a child who doesn't want your advice anymore. Maybe it's when, for me anyways, when people find out what I do. Now, I'm not kidding about this. You guys may think I am. But here's an experience that I have had over and over and over in my life. Hey, my name's John. I'm at a party or I'm at some social thing or whatever. I'm out playing baseball with the dads and, you know, the kids are all there. Wherever. I'm just out there and they don't know who I am. Hey, I'm John. Good to meet you. Yeah, good to meet you too. And we start becoming friends. And inevitably, either during that first conversation or maybe some people it's, it's actually weeks before they know. But eventually the inevitable question comes. So what do you do for a living I'm a minister. I'm a preacher. Oh. I just remembered I have. I, you think I'm joking. That's actually happened to me. Literally. Somebody just paused uh, and then walk away. And that was it. They didn't talk to me ever again. Ever again. They thought, that guy's a preacher, and that's a bad investment. I am not giving that guy any of my time, any of myself. I'm not. I'm not doing it. You know what? Here's the deal. In the story of Ruth, it just doesn't seem like it matters that so-and-so rejects her. Yeah, Ruth got rejected by some guy named so-and-so, but it just doesn't matter. Why? Why doesn't it matter? And here's the reason. Because there's another redeemer. There's another redeemer, and his name is not so and so. He doesn't get left unnamed. His name is Boaz, mighty man, good man, noble man, a kinsman redeemer. He offers her Hesed love. He's willing to stand in front of all the community and publicly say, You're a good investment. And so she can trust him no matter what so and so thanks. So every one of us in here, I don't care who you are, every one of us has been rejected by so-and-so, right? Right? Am I right? Okay. Okay. Well, I'm going to tell you, that can crush your life if you let it, or that can roll right off your back. And it all depends on whether you know the Redeemer. His name is Jesus Christ. He is a good God, he is a noble king. He is a brother who's already redeemed us and he's already given us value. He loves you with hesed love and is willing to hang publicly on a cross for you and die in order so that you would know you are not a bad investment. You are worth his love no matter what so-and-so thinks about you. And I want us to finish today by just hearing from our community testimony from God's word about God the Redeemer. That's what I want you to hear. 
We've done this here before, and we're going to do it again this morning. We're going to finish with four scriptures this morning that are just going to be read from where people sit. They're going to read them nice and loud. Listen to what your Redeemer has done for you. Exodus chapter 15 and verse 13. Stand up and, and read it. Who's got it? Here we go. Psalm 77, verse 13 through 15. Psalm 103, verses 2 through 5. Last one, Isaiah 63, 16. You are our father, Abraham and Israel are long dead, but we call us to Adam, and you are our living father, our redeemer, saints from eternity. Amen. God is our redeemer. Stated straight from the scripture, from the text of the Bible that we believe with all of our heart. The story of Ruth reminds us we're not a bad investment. It reminds us that our Redeemer cries out that we are valuable. It reminds us that no matter what so-and-so says about us, your story is a part of God's story. And because He's a Redeemer, because He's our Redeemer, I believe He can turn anything around. Do you believe God can turn anything around? Then let's stand and let's sing with all of our hearts and give him praise. Over all the earth.